that is uh, our prayer uh, this morning. Uh, we want our lives uh, to be for you and for your glory. Uh, Lord, we want to uh, please you with all that we are, all that we do, all that we think, all that we feel. Uh, so, Lord, we pray uh, here this morning uh, as we come to your word that your Holy Spirit would take this word that he has inspired, uh, that he would apply it to our hearts and our minds, that he would preach to us the truth of your word, and that through that preaching of your word, you would transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, uh, that we would look like him. So, Lord, take our lives here today and make them for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, will you please be seated? Uh, And as you sit there, uh, do uh, turn back in your bulletins to that reading from Colossians chapter 1. That's going to be our focus today, Colossians chapter 1. It's always great to have the passage open in front of you that we are focusing on today. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. If you want to look at a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. You're welcome to uh, grab one of those. You're welcome to take it home uh, if you don't have a Bible uh, at home that you can use. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at the first eight verses of this letter that was written to the Colossians. Uh, Those who uh, were in Christ at Colossae, that's how they're described at the beginning of the letter. This was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. You might remember that a man named Epaphras, who was from Colossae, and he was uh, converted under the teaching of the Apostle Paul as Paul was preaching the gospel. Uh, This man, Epaphras, went back to Colossae. He started sharing the gospel, and people became converted. Uh, And a church was formed there in Colossae. Uh, Epaphras has now gone back to Paul. Paul at this point is probably in prison in Rome. And he's reporting back to Paul the things that are taking place in the lives of these relatively new Christians and this young church that's in Colossae. And much of what Epaphras had to report to Paul was good. Uh, We saw a couple of weeks ago that God was at work among these people. Good things were happening. And yet it also seems that there was a looming threat that Paul was keen to address with him as he writes this letter, a threat that was coming to them in the form of false teaching. We don't see the details of this threat until we get to chapter 2, but the essence of the false teaching that was threatening this young church was a teaching that said that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not enough, Uh, that if you want a full life and to be really spiritually mature, then you need more than Jesus. In fact, the word fullness is a word that we're going to see repeated throughout this letter. The false teachers were emphasizing a kind of spiritual fullness that they said the gospel of Jesus couldn't give to these Christians. And so Paul, throughout this letter, even when he's not directly addressing the false teaching, he's always in one way or another trying to undermine those false claims. And so even here in our passage this morning, which is mostly just a wonderful and passionate, heartfelt prayer of Paul for these Colossian Christians, he's still, though, praying for them in such a way so as to teach them that real spiritual fullness is to be found nowhere else but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for example, he takes the language of fullness that the false teachers are promoting, and he turns it back to the gospel. Uh, And thus he prays here in these verses that these believers will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Uh, And he prays for them to be strengthened with all power, uh, for all endurance, the sense of fullness and, and completeness. And in particular, there's one phrase in this text that's really the driving point of this passage, and which flips the false teacher's idea of fullness completely on his head. And it's the phrase that's there in the middle of verse 10, in which the apostle speaks of a life that's fully pleasing 
to the Lord. You see that little phrase there in verse 10. A life fully pleasing to the Lord. You want a full life? Uh, You want to experience spiritual fullness in your life? Well, brothers and sisters, he's saying only Jesus can give you a full life, and that full life which Jesus gives you will be a life that's fully pleasing to him. That's what should be your focus when you think of fullness. Your pursuit of fullness should be a life that fully pleases God. And so, friends, that's our focus this morning. Uh, Because that's the main idea of this text. It's about a life that fully pleases the Lord. Uh, Perhaps I can frame it for you like this. Uh, No doubt there have been uh, moments in your life in which you've reached a a certain destination or uh, a certain achievement in your life that you've accomplished. and, And you were then left with the question at the end of it all, now what? Right now, what I've, I've got this thing, I, I, I've become this person, so, so now what do I do? What's, what's next for me? Well, you see, in one sense, that's the very question that the Apostle Paul is trying to answer for these people who are in Christ at Colossae. As we thought about two weeks ago, the gospel's come to them. It's produced fruit in their lives, so much so that their lives are noticeably marked by faith in Jesus and love for one another. And so they've heard the gospel, they've become Christians, and, and thus the question surfacing among them is, is now What? So so now what do we do with our lives as Christians? What's next for us? And you know, it's actually not a bad question for Christians to ask. Uh, I've put my faith in Jesus. I've joined a church. Uh, I'm a Christian, but now what? Uh, What do I focus on now? What do I do now? In fact, I would imagine that if you're someone here this morning who's a relatively new Christian or a young Christian, that this is a question that's very relevant for you. I've become a Christian. Now what? What do I do now? I got baptized. What do I do now? What's next? In fact, it may even be that you're someone who's been a Christian for a long time. And so maybe you've been involved in the church for a long time. Uh, Maybe you've read a lot of Christian books. right? But there's a sense of, I don't know what to do next. What's next for me in my Christian life? Well, again, the letter of Colossians presents us with alternatives. Uh, Do we go the way of the false teachers who say, now we need all these other spiritual and religious experiences in order to really experience the fullness of Christianity? Or do we go the way of God's word here and see that the answer to that now what question is in the fullness of grace that we receive in Jesus to pursue a life that is fully pleasing to God? And so friends, my hope and prayer for us this morning is that we'll leave here today so loving and rejoicing in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we want the whole of our lives and the lives of everyone in this church to be fully lived for the glory and pleasure of our amazing God. So let's turn our attention more specifically to the text here. And I want you to notice, first of all, that what we have here primarily is indeed a prayer for these Christians to live lives that are fully pleasing to God. That's the main thing that Paul's praying for here. And and really, everything else supports that focus. Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, that is, uh, the day we heard of your faith, the day that we heard of your love, when Epaphras told us all these things, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We're praying for you all the time. Every time we pray, we're praying for you. And here's what we're praying. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. All right, so the goal of Paul's prayer for them is that they'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which is specifically then defined as being a life that's fully pleasing to him. And it's for that goal that he thus prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, so there's a, there's a connection here between uh, what a person knows and, and how a person lives. Right, you see that there? Now, it may be that when we hear the language of God's will, uh, we tend to think of specific decisions in our life that have to be made, and, and thus we wonder what God's will for us is. You know, is, is his will for me to take this job, or is it to take this job? Well, it's certainly good to pray for an understanding of God's will on questions like that, but that's not simply what Paul's praying for here in verse 9. It's a bit more comprehensive than just that. It, it's to be filled with the knowledge of, of what God is all about. You know, for example, what is the plan of God throughout history to redeem a people for himself? What are the commands of God given to us in his word? You know, what is it that God loves? What is it that God hates? And knowing the will of God in these matters as they reveal to us in Holy Scripture, that's what Paul's praying for. And thus again, he's pushing back against the false teachers who are saying that the Colossians need to be filled with some mystical religious experiences that transcend the knowledge of God in his word. And so Paul's not having any of that. Instead, he wants these believers to truly know who their God is and what he's all about as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. And therefore, specifically, he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, notice, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So again, Paul here, I think, is pushing back against the false teachers who are promoting a worldly human wisdom. And Paul thus is saying, no, we need the very work of the Holy Spirit for this. We need spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we can then know how to apply the knowledge of God's will to our lives. Because, of course, as any honest Christian will tell you, that's not always easy to do. And it's not always easy to know exactly how to live in a godly way in this world. I mean, you can probably think of two or three ethical dilemmas that you've recently faced. I mean, how exactly do we apply God's will in a complex world? We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need spiritual wisdom and understanding. I think it's quite interesting as well that Paul uses similar language here. Is that what you find in the prophet Isaiah? Uh, in Isaiah 11:2, speaking of the Messiah, we're told, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other words, what Paul seems to be doing here is saying that the, that the same spirit who anointed the Lord Jesus Christ and who empowered Jesus with all wisdom and understanding and knowledge is the same Spirit who's anointed every Christian believer. And thus the knowledge of God's will and the spiritual wisdom and, and understanding to apply God's will in every circumstance is available to us as well. So that we then can actually begin to live lives that more and more resemble the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's precisely the goal here. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here's why we're praying for that. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So again, it's not simply knowledge. The Christian life isn't just about reading books. It's not just about deepening your understanding of theology and ministry and getting into debates about doctrine. No, it's, it's about how you live. Now, you need knowledge in order to live a godly life. That's why Paul prays in this way. But that knowledge must be applied to how we live. It's for the purpose of living. And so Paul here uses this phrase that he so often uses in his letters. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Uh, walk here, of course, is figurative for live. You know, to walk in a certain way, to, to live in a certain way, to, to conduct ourselves in a, in a certain way that's worthy of the Lord. And again, you see this all over the place in Paul's letters. Uh, Philippians 1.27, uh, he tells uh, believers uh, in that city to let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Ephesians 4.1, he exhorts believers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. First uh, Thessalonians 2.12, he reminds them to walk in a manner worthy of God. So this is a common refrain in the New Testament. Uh, let's make sure, though, that we're not misinterpreting what God's Word is saying here. Because when the Bible talks about living in a worthy manner, it does not mean uh, that we're somehow trying to prove our worth to God by how we live. Uh, we're not trying to prove ourselves worthy of God's love and, and forgiveness through our own efforts. I mean, that's, that's the exact opposite of the gospel of God's grace that's so clearly presented just here even in Colossians 1. In fact, look down at verses 13 and 14. Again, the main idea in this passage is living a life that's fully pleasing to God, but underpinning that main idea are these glorious verses about the gospel and the, the kingdom of Christ and the fact that, that we're already part of that kingdom. Verse 13. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, what's being described there, that's a, that's a present reality for every believer who's in Jesus Christ. This is what God has already done for you. It's done. It, it, it's past. It's in the past tense. God, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He, he has transferred us. And so this, dear Christian friend, is where you now exist. This is, this is where you now are. And you didn't do it. God did it. It was all by his sovereign grace. You used to live in a domain of darkness, a, a realm of darkness, a kingdom of darkness. Every human being born into this world is born as a citizen of the domain of darkness. But what God did for you in his sovereign grace is he, he took you out of that domain. And he transfers you into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the, the beloved son of the Father. And the way that God transfers you into this new kingdom is by redeeming you. And literally, he bought you with the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased you. He, he gave his own son to die on a cross. His own beloved son to die on a cross to receive his wrath against your sin so that you could be forgiven and set free from all of the consequences of your sin. Is that not amazing? The fact that he's described here as the beloved son who has redeemed us. Because that beloved son was given up, put under the wrath of God for you. And listen, any kingdom that's described as being the kingdom of God's beloved son is itself a kingdom of love. 
It's a kingdom of goodness and beauty and, and unparalleled glory. It's a kingdom of light in contrast to the darkness. And that's where you now in the present, right now, belong. That's who you are. That's what's already happened to you. And it's happened to you by the grace of God alone. And therefore, you see, when Paul says, I'm praying for you, that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The farthest thing from his mind is the idea that you'd have to, by your own efforts, make yourself worthy of God's salvation and love. God has already given you everything in Christ. We're not being called on here to earn God's grace. No, listen, any teaching that adds to the grace of God is a false teaching coming from a false church. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and we took kids up to camp, and we had this, this gentleman who was a, a, a camp counselor. He's a wonderful man. He loved the Lord Jesus. His heart was in the right place. But his doctrine was at times all messed up. And at one point, he said to the kids who were up there, he said, he said to them, he meant well, but he said to them, he said, God has done 99% of it. He's done 99% of it for you. You just need to do that 1%. That's a false gospel. Uh, it's the gospel that's codified, sadly, in the Roman Catholic Church. That's a false gospel that the Catholic Church teaches. It undermines the grace of God. It diminishes the glory of God. It robs Christians of their assurance. Salvation is by grace alone. Uh, you exist in the kingdom of God's beloved Son as His redeemed people only, only by His grace. And so we're not being called on here to earn God's grace, but to live out who we already are by the grace of God. And so we're, we're not to show ourselves to be worthy. We're not trying to prove our worth. Rather, it's the worth and the value of the gospel of God's grace that we're trying to show off. I don't know if that makes sense. It's that value, the value of the gospel. It's the calling we've received that we're, we're trying to show is worthy. It's the God who has saved us by his grace alone that we're trying to show is worthy of the fullness of our lives lived in obedience to him. I love how one Christian author has put this. Our great triune God and the marvelous and undeserved kindness that is ours and the gospel are of such infinite value, so exalted and beautiful and full of glory that we should always live in such a way that it be known. Our lives by his grace should reflect positively on God. People should walk away from having observed us saying, my goodness, what an incredible God he, she believes in. Our aim isn't to evoke from them praise and admiration of who we are, but praise and admiration of who he is. Jesus, the cross, and the gospel of salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, are worthy of lives that reflect on their value, not ours. It's not our worth. We're not trying to show ourselves to be worthy of this. It's his worth that we're pointing to. And so when Paul here unceasingly prays, that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is what he's praying for. Because this is the kind of life that brings our King Jesus great pleasure. A life that is fully pleasing to the Lord. Isn't that marvelous? And every time I, I read Colossians, I, I'm struck by how marvelous it is that we can bring our King pleasure. That we can bring our God and Father pleasure. Uh, that he would take joy in us. Uh, that he would smile upon us. 
Now, the idea that our lives would fill him with the light, it's marvelous. And the closest parallel I can think of, and it's a very imperfect parallel, but the closest parallel I can think of is, is, is of a son with a father. I think when I was a kid, I, I lived to please my father. I wanted to please him. And if I scored a goal in the game, looking around, his dad, did dad see the goal that I just scored? I'd bring a report card home. When it was good, it wasn't always good, but when it was good, I would bring it home and, Dad, did, did you see the report card that I got this time? And what a great joy it was to please my father. Not in a sense of trying to, trying to earn his love, not trying to, in a sense of trying to earn my way into the family, but just as a boy who wanted to please his father, who enjoyed the smile of his father upon his life. We want to live lives fully pleasing to God, don't we? And similarly, not because we think we have to earn our way into his family, or earn his salvation, or earn his kingdom. He's already given us all of that. And so now we just want to please him. Fully, right? Fully please him. Not just on Sundays. Not just when we get enough sleep and we feel good. Not just in some area of our lives, but, but not in others. No, we want lives that are fully pleasing to the Lord. That's what we're after every day. Well, that's why we're saying no to temptation and no to sin. It's why we're pursuing lives of holiness. It's why we're reading his word to know his will. It's why we're praying for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding. It's all because we want to live lives that are fully pleasing to the Lord. And friend, if that doesn't make any sense to you, if the idea of pleasing God doesn't motivate you in any real way, then then with, with lots of love I say to you, I don't know if you know the gospel yet. You may not yet have grasped just how embedded in the domain of darkness you really were and how you can never get yourself out of that domain. You were a depraved sinner and darkness was the realm in which you lived. And likewise, you may not really have grasped just how glorious the kingdom of God's beloved Son really is. You may not have grasped what it cost for you to be redeemed and forgiven of your sins. And so if that's the case, you just need to spend some time with verses 13 and 14 and pray that the Lord would give you understanding of who you really are and of his sovereign grace alone that can set you free. And so the whole point of this prayer is that these believers in Colossae, now that they've come to hear the gospel and believe it, the prayer is for them to now know a full life, which in biblical terms means living fully to please the Lord. And so that's what Paul unceasingly prays for. But he doesn't just pray for it. He then goes on to give a short description of what that life looks like when God answers this kind of prayer. That's what the rest of this text is unfolding for us. Uh, In the second half of verse 10 through verse 12, Paul, having prayed for them to live a life fully pleasing to the Lord, is now describing what that kind of life looks like. Now, this isn't a a comprehensive description, but he he does make four important points. So let me just highlight those points for you. Uh, First, a life that's fully pleasing to God will bear fruit in every good work. So he prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding... Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which means living a life that's fully pleasing to God. And a life that's fully pleasing to God will be, middle of verse 10, a life that's bearing fruit in every good work. 
Uh, Christian friends, it's critical we understand that though we are not saved by our good works, uh, we are saved so that we will do good works. It's why God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's so that we will now begin to live a very different life in a very different kingdom. And the fact that Paul stresses bearing fruit in every good work is, is, a, is a way of stressing, I think, that, that what he's praying for is an, is an abundance of good works in their lives. And so he doesn't just say good works, but it's, it's bearing spiritual fruit in every good work. It's, a, it's an abundance of good works. Uh, second, a life that's fully pleasing to God will be a life that's increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So interestingly, Paul prays in verse 9 that they'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Part of which, though, uh, means further growth in knowledge. And the reason why is because we never stop growing as those who belong to the kingdom of Christ. Because there's always more of God to know. And so the more we know of God's will, the more we're able to obey God's will. But then the the more we obey God's will and walk in his ways, the more we also come to know of God and his will, which in turn leads to greater obedience, which in turn leads to greater knowledge, which in turn leads to greater obedience, which in turn leads to greater knowledge, and on and on and on. And so a life that pleases God will be a life that increases in the knowledge of God. Third, a life that's fully pleasing to God will be a life that's strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy. Look at the wonderful way this is phrased in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And so Paul's not praying just for power for them. He's praying for all power. And not just for all power, but for all power according to, literally, God's glorious power. (laughs) In other words, there's a lot of power that he's praying for here. May you be empowered with all power according to God's glorious power. Okay, so this is a prayer for God to do an immense work in them. A work that only the glory and majesty of God can accomplish because that's what's going to be needed if they're going to live lives that fully please God. It's going to require the absolute multiplied power of the sovereign God of all glory. Now, specifically, what's the power needed for? Well, interestingly, it's not power for miracles. It's not power for great displays of showmanship for the world to see. Oh, it's power for all endurance. Power for all patience with joy. To have power for all endurance would be to have power to endure every difficult situation. To have power for all patience would be to have power to endure every difficult person. And so we need power for all endurance and patience. And not just so that we can stoically endure, but so that we can actually do it even with joy. Uh, Brothers and sisters, listen, if you show endurance and patience in a difficult situation, or with a difficult person, and you do it all the while rejoicing in the Lord, uh, your Lord will be so pleased with that. That will bring him pleasure. That will display to others just how worthy your Lord truly is. So let's make sure we understand that we cannot please God 
unless he gives us all power to do so. We need his power. Friends, trust God's word. Believe that there is no addiction that power can't break. God's power. There's no anxiety that God's power can't overcome. There's no sin that God's power can't defeat. There's no task to which you're called that God's power can't fulfill. There's no fruit that you're called to bear that God's power can't produce. And as you face difficult situations in life, listen, there's, there's no rebellious child that God's power can't restore. There's no broken marriage that God's power can't reconcile. It's God's glorious power, his glorious might that will equip us to live a life fully pleasing to him. So pray for it. Pray to be strengthened with all power. And then fourth, a life that's fully pleasing to the Lord will be a life that regularly thanks God for the gospel of his grace to us in Jesus. I look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you're a Christian, if you believe in the doctrines of grace, if you have put all of your trust in Jesus, then listen to this. You are someone whom God has qualified to share in the heavenly inheritance of his eternal kingdom, which he's planned for his people. Do you believe that? You may think of yourself as someone who's completely unqualified to enjoy such an inheritance. Indeed, you may think of yourself as someone who deserves to be disqualified from such an inheritance. But brothers and sisters, the inheritance of the kingdom of Christ that belongs to God's people isn't based on you. God has qualified you. He qualified you by transferring you out of that domain of darkness. He qualified you by redeeming you. He qualified you by forgiving you of your sin. And so you may think to yourself, I'm a failure. I'm a complete inadequate person. I deserve nothing good from God. I only deserve to inherit death and damnation. And yet in Christ, do you hear what God is saying to you? Do you hear the assurance he's giving you? You are accepted. You are qualified. It's the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's death alone. You are qualified in Christ. So friends, give thanks to him. Thank him for that. Thank him for what he's done for you every day. I don't mean this in, I'm not exaggerating in any way. Every day, get up in the morning and thank him for what he's done for you. Because it will bring pleasure to him. That you will be living a life that's fully pleasing to your Lord. Bear fruit in every good work. Increase in the knowledge of God. Be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. And give thanks for the gospel. Okay, so Paul prays that they'll live a life fully pleasing to the Lord. And then he goes on to show them what their life will look like when God does, in fact, answer that prayer. And so as we think about that, now what question? You see, this is the answer. This is the now what for all of us who have heard the gospel and believed it. 
This is what we want to pursue until we die. This is what we want to pray for throughout our lives. By God's grace, our lives can be pleasing to God. So let me ask you as we close here. When you think and dream about living a full life, is this what you have in mind? You know, if you could pray for anything and know that that prayer would be answered, what would you pray for? Or maybe I should ask, what do you pray for? What is it that you're constantly praying for? Paul here prays unceasingly for this. What is it that you're praying for? Every time you pray, you're praying for what is it? What exactly is the fullness you're seeking? Parents, let me encourage you. Pray this for your children. don't, Don't just pray that they'll have a happy, comfortable life. Pray this. And don't just pray for health and and wealth and ease for yourself. Pray this. And friends, let's pray this for one another. Let's pray this for the people in our community groups. Let's pray this for the person who who we talk with during the coffee hour. And then throughout the week, as you you work through our, our membership directory and you pray for the people who are there, pray for this for people. By God's grace alone and for His glory alone, As those who belong to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, our lives can be fully pleasing to Him. Let's pray this for one another. In fact, would you do that right now as we take a few quiet moments of prayer? Pray this for yourself and for others in this church. Let's pray.